step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hi, everybody. Welcome to JPD Weekly. Here's a strange question. Is Christianity older than Jesus Christ? Now, in a sense, that's impossible, right? Because Jesus is eternal. In another sense, it's also impossible because Christianity is named after Jesus Christ. So how could it have existed prior to his birth? Well, what if it was actually called something different? Now, as most of you know, I have just finished uh, putting together a book called The Lost Prophecies of Qumran and the Final Age of Man. Information in this episode of JPD Weekly comes from Chapter 8 of my new book, which is set to release later this year from the time of this recording. So keep your eyes on Skywatch TV and Defender Publishing for more information on that, and I will also provide more information uh, here as as it develops, uh, as it becomes available. Now, this was one of the most exciting and challenging chapters to write throughout the entire book. It's exciting because if the information contained there is true, it offers us a deeper look into the history that we as Christians share. It was challenging because like most other things having to do with the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's no definite answers. But for me personally, I, I much prefer to err on the side of excitement while maintaining a healthy realism rather than just reject something outright because it may challenge a consensus view or an established tradition. Uh, now, while it's tempting to accept these things full force, we must always remember that there are things that we just cannot know. We also must remember that we are 2,000 years and half a world removed from the original source material. So all we can really do is the best we can with what we have and leave the rest to God. Now, all throughout the Dead Sea Scrolls, we see the writers refer to a place uh, called Damascus. This was the place of their community. This isn't Damascus, Syria. This was Qumran. So the place of their community in Qumran, they called Damascus. Uh, we see that in what has been dubbed the Damascus document. Here's a direct quote. This is column 6, uh, verses 4b through 5. It says, uh, the well is the law, and those who dug it are the converts of Israel who left the land of Judah and lived in the land of Damascus. So they're actually referring to themselves there, and they're talking about Qumran. They called it Damascus. Uh, we also see from the Damascus document 19, 33b through 34a, quote, And thus all the men who entered the new covenant in the land of Damascus... Now again, this is obviously not referring to Damascus in Syria, but it's instead what they called the area of their community in Qumran. This is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. <coughs> so, excuse me, so along these lines, 
And speaking of the coming Messiah, the Damascus document states this, quote, The star is the interpreter of the law who will come to Damascus as it is written, Numbers, 14, uh, Numbers 24, 13, and it quotes it. But that is from the Damascus document, 7, 18b through 20a. So this tells us that if we see a person described as interpreter of the law in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's most likely talking about the Messiah. Uh, we know that this interpretation of the star is correct because it's mirrored in the Gospel of Matthew when describing the birth of Jesus, uh, which appears to be alluding to Numbers 24:17, as quoted in the Damascus document. We get that from uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, quote, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now apparently, according to the Damascus, according to the Damascus document, the interpreter of the law which is, as we have seen, it is Jesus Christ, but it's a prophecy about Jesus because the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were written at least a couple hundred years before Christ. So uh, this isn't a, a direct reference as in, you know, he was alive at the time this was written. That's not the case. It's a prophecy relating to Messiah, which, as it turned out, was Jesus Christ. Um, but this, so the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was expected to come to Damascus or the Qumran community at some point. So could Jesus have actually traveled to Qumran at some point to fulfill that prophecy, to meet with and to teach the community there as well. It's certainly possible, but again, we don't know for absolute sure. Now, the Qumran community uh, also gave themselves a familiar name, yet as I show uh, in the book and we've talked about in other uh, videos, they would have been calling themselves this name for a long time before the birth of Christ. So we get this from a Dead Sea Scroll, one of their documents called the Community Rule, and this is from column nine. It says, quote, shall impart true knowledge and righteous judgment to, do to those who have chosen the way. Now, this isn't just a general reference to some way, you know, it's actually capitalized. This is what they called themselves. They called themselves the way. Now, this immediately reminds us of the book of Acts. Uh, we have a quote here. This is Acts 9, 1 through 2. Quote, Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, typically, that is described as Christians living in Syria, but I don't think that's actually what's going on here. Uh, I think when we apply what we learned from the Dead Sea Scrolls, that there in Israel was a community uh, called The Way, and they called the community Damascus. They called that area Damascus. I think it makes a lot more sense, and I'll show you why. Uh, that Paul was actually going to Qumran, not to Syria. Now, he does go to Syria at some point. He, he, he writes about that. Uh, but I think in this is instance, it's actually talking about the Qumran community. Uh, now, we learn from the Dead Sea Scrolls that there was a group of people in Qumran who were awaiting the Messiah. These people were calling themselves the Way, and the area they lived in, they were calling Damascus. Now, Paul, prior to his conversion, when he was still Saul, he wanted to travel to a place called Damascus to bring back to Jerusalem any who were of the way. 
So is it at all possible that Paul was not planning to go to Syria, but instead was planning to travel to the much closer Qumran community to persecute newly converted Christians? After all, if the Qumran community was waiting for the Messiah and their expectation of what the Messiah would do matched uh, the teachings and actions of Jesus, then it would make sense if the Qumran community and, by extension, the Essenes, uh, were some of the very first converts to Christianity. Because as we've talked about in other videos and I detail in the book, when you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and understand what the Essenes were looking for in terms of the Messiah, what, what, what did the Dead Sea Scrolls prophesy about the Messiah? The Dead Sea Scrolls expected God incarnate uh, to come and die for their sins, they actually expected all of that at least a couple hundred years, probably much older, but at least a couple hundred years before Jesus uh, came. So, you know, what we're often told that no Jews during the time understood what, what Jesus really was and nobody, nobody got it, nobody predicted it. So when Jesus came, he surprised everybody. That's not exactly correct. There, there was a sect of Jewish believers who were expecting exactly what Jesus was uh, ex the, the the fulfillment of the Messiah in that it's going to be God incarnate and he's going to die for their sins and he's going to start the age of grace. That's actually in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So w what it is, is, is that Pharisees and Sadducees didn't get it, but the Essenes did. That's why in the uh, Gospels you see so many people that are uh, really easy to convert to Christianity, while others it's really difficult. It's because there were Essenes that were already looking for and expecting exactly what Jesus was doing, uh, and there were others that were expecting something different. So that's the difference there. Now, this would mean that early Christians were not the originators of the phrase, the way. The, the, the early Christians were not the first people to be called this, to describe themselves. Instead, the first Christians were already calling themselves the way before they converted to Christianity. The way were, was that sect of Jews. This would have been the Essenes and the priestly sons of Zadok who were eager, eagerly awaiting Jesus uh, for hundreds of years before Jesus came. This sect of Jewish believers who were awaiting the, the proper Messiah and had the right understanding of who he would be, uh, they were already calling themselves the way. So when Jesus came and um, and this sect uh, began following Jesus as the fulfillment, you know, as the, the Messiah, uh, they kept calling themselves the way. They were always the way. So in this sense, Christianity existed before Jesus Christ. And that, that to me is so amazing and mind-blowing. Um, so Christ is, was, was a fulfillment of what the Qumran community expected in a Messiah. Uh, the, their expectations of the Messiah did not get perverted by uh, weird oral Torah Pharisee teachings. You know, it, it didn't get perverted through that. They still had the pure um, expectation of Messiah that Jews for all time have, have had. Uh, but, you know, again, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees broke off uh, from that, that original pure teaching. So this, this is how you can actually have, uh, uh, you, you could actually say that Christianity is older than Jesus Christ himself, in a way, in a way. Um, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment, so Christianity is, is just the, the logical uh, next stepping stone uh, for the way, for that group of Jews to, to follow. And that's exactly what happened. 
So it's really cool to think about. Uh, we actually might be given another clue in the name of a street in Damascus, believe it or not. Now, th- this is really cool. This is a, one of those little details that we read in the Bible and, and we don't think much about. We just kind of breeze past it in our study. But if we, if we take time and actually slow down and, and look at what's being said, it's really profound. So th- this, is, th- this was fascinating because I don't know how many times I've read this passage before recently and I've missed this. Acts 9, 10 through 11 states, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he replied, Here I am, Lord. Then the Lord told him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at Judas's house, look for a man from Tarsus named Paul, or named Saul, excuse me, for he is praying. Okay, I'm going to read verse 11 again, because it doesn't sound like it's pertinent information, but it is. Verse 11 again says, Then the Lord told him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at Judas' house, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. All right. Now, we know that the Qumran community believed they were the ones to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah about preparing the way of the Lord and making his paths straight. Uh, that's actually in their document. That, that's that's um, laid out in there, I, I believe it's in the community rule, and I think in the Damascus document and some, some other places. But they believed that they were answering a call from God to go out to Qumran to fulfill this prophecy. They write about it in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, the, the whole reason for their community was to make the Lord's paths straight, to make straight the paths of the Lord, the way of the Lord, to bring, bring in uh, you know, John the Baptist, the Messiah, all, all of this stuff. We have mention of the way, of paths, and straight. Okay, so would it not make sense that the community in Qumran, also called the way and Damascus, that wouldn't it make sense that they would name a street or a path, that they would actually name it straight? You know, I mean, it's just like, hey, I live on straight street, you, you know. It's a path. In the prophecy, they're, they're, they're to make the path straight, Right. Well, they got to call their street name something. So wouldn't it make sense that they would borrow from that and say, hey, well, our whole community is based on this prophecy. Uh, we need a name for this street. I think straight is a good uh, uh, name for this street. It's kind of like a, a pun. you know. I mean, we, we do that even today in, in some of our street names. Wouldn't it make sense that they would do that? Uh, since there was literally a prophecy that they believed that they were meant to fulfill. And that could explain why that little detail is there in in Acts, uh, go to a street named Straight. Why was that street named Straight? It doesn't make sense with Syria, but it makes a lot of sense with Qumran. They named the street that because it directly points to the prophecy that they uh, they claim they were hearing from the Lord that they needed to fulfill. They needed to go out to Qumran and start this community so they could make straight the paths of uh, the way of the Lord. So that seems to fit Qumran far better than Syria, but there's still even more evidence. Um, and we're obviously not going to be able to get to everything in this video. Uh, there's a lot more in the book. So, um, you know, if you're watching this video at the time that uh, that's just released, the book's not out yet. If you're watching this a few months later, then uh, it might be out now. So just go to skywatchtvstore.com and just type my name in, Josh Peck, and look for it. Um, 
and uh, you'll find some good stuff there. But it, that, that's, so that seems to fit uh, Qumran better. Um, now, we also read that Paul had to get permission to persecute followers of the way in Damascus. And, and we looked at that verse a, a little while earlier. Uh, he actually had to get permission. Now, here's what one commentator about this actually says. Quote, the author of Acts says Saul went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The problem is that the high priest or priests of the temple in Jerusalem could have had no authority over any Jews who may have lived in the distant city of Damascus and therefore nothing to grant to Saul for any mission there. At the time that the temple priesthood in Jerusalem supposedly granted Saul the right to arrest Jews in Damascus, that city was either an autonomous city-state or under the control of the Nabataean kingdom. In, either case, in neither case is it reasonable to assume that any agent of the Jerusalem priesthood could simply enter the city and order its Jewish community to deliver up to him such Jews as he specified for transport in bondage to, Jeru to Jerusalem. The priests could not have conferred such authority, nor could the Herodian rulers Herod Antipas or Philip, nor could the Roman per per procurator of Judea, end quote. So, it doesn't make sense that Paul would go to the temple and ask for permission, basically, for, for letters for the synagogues if he was going to Syria, because they wouldn't have had any authority there. Now, they would have authority in Qumran, because that's right there in Israel. That's really, really close. Uh, that makes sense. So, it seems like that it would make more sense that the priests in Jerusalem would have had authority within Israel, including Qumran, rather than the Damascus that's located in Syria. Uh, the priests in Jerusalem already had very shaky history with the Qumran community. Uh, Saul, being a Pharisee himself at the time, would likely have been trained by the other priests to hate that group, to hate the way. Uh, this could have been their chance to finally persecute the Qumran community the way that they likely had wanted to for a long time. Now, on top of that, uh, the Qumran community and their ways were already uh, likely well-known throughout Israel, and uh, we've seen that in other videos that we've done. I talk about it in the book, but this could be why Luke, who's the author of Acts, does not bother to explain Damascus or the way, because it was likely already known at that time. And if it were known, this is exactly how we would expect it to be written about. Um, if it was not known then we might expect Luke to explain why Saul wanted to go to Syria, how the temple priest had authority over such a distant place, uh, how believers in Christ managed to escape to Syria, and why they were calling themselves the way. You know, as, as we see throughout the gospel, um, throughout his gospel and the, re the rest of the book of Acts, Luke is a very thorough and detailed writer. So either this would have been an odd lapse in his, in his normal detailed writing style, or these details would have already been well known to his audience. And if, if that is the case, it may have been considered tedious or unnecessary to explain all these extra details. Uh, so that, that lends uh, more evidence. Now, when we look at the writings of Paul himself, we might actually have evidence that he converted not only to Christianity, but to the way itself, as described in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, to the Qumran community. In his letter to the Galatians, uh, Paul writes, 
but when the one who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not go to ask advice from any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. But right away I departed to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and get information from him, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I assure you that before God I am not lying about what I am writing to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, but I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And again, that is Galatians 1, 15 through 22, uh, and we're reading from the NET version. Now, first we can notice that uh, Paul mentions Damascus in verse 17. Then in verse 21, he says, afterward, he went to Syria. Now, it might seem odd that if the mention of Damascus was talking about Syria, wouldn't he, see, wouldn't he say that he went back to Syria? But he doesn't say that. He says that he went to Syria as if this is a separate place that he's talking about that he did not mention at all anywhere uh, in that section. But he did mention Damascus. Now, that phrasing would be odd if Damascus that he is referring to was in Syria, because then he should have said afterward he went back to Syria. But he doesn't say that. He just says afterward he went to Syria. Now, if Damascus is Qumran, then he could say, you know, I went to Damascus, then I went to, afterward I went to Syria. Uh, th then that, that makes sense. If the Damascus he referenced just a couple verses earlier uh, was not in Syria, but was actually Qumran. So he seems to be referencing a new place in, in verse 21. So I wanted to make note of that. It's a small detail, but I think it's one that, that adds to this. Now, if Paul was talking about the Qumran community called Damascus, there's a lot of things throughout this passage that fall into place. Um, also, the word Arabia there, uh, as used, uh, has been shown to most likely mean the Nabataean kingdom, not including the Sinai Peninsula at the time. Uh, this would have been on the east side of Jordan, because uh, during the first century AD, that area had a collection of cities in the Judean Negev for a spice trade route. And at the time, the term, the term Arab was an equivalent of Nabataean, which we actually discover from the first and second books of Maccabees. So uh, if you want those references, it's 1 Maccabees 525, 39, 935, and 2 Maccabees 5.8. Now, connecting this with the descriptions of events in the book of Acts, Paul went to Damascus and was baptized. And after that, we read that Paul went to Arabia. Then he returned to Damascus. Now, after three years in Damascus, Paul then goes to Jerusalem for 15 days. Now, if Damascus is Qumran, Paul spent three years there. That's really interesting, uh, because the interesting thing about that is, according to historical records uh, from Josephus that I detail in the book, and readings from within the community rule, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the, the community rule is like the Qumran community's set of like rules, like how they, how they operate their community. But according to that, three years is the exact time that it took for a new member to become fully initiated into the community of the way. Um, so that might be what, why Paul is mentioning three years there, because he actually converted not only to Christianity, but, but to the specific, uh, Qumran community itself, to the way. Uh, here's what an article called Arabia in the New Testament from Bible.ca says. 
Quote, but now if anyone hath a mind to come over to their sect, he is not immediately admitted, but he is prescribed the same method of living which they use for a year while he continues excluding and they give him also a small hatchet and the aforementioned girdle and the white garment. And, and when he hath given evidence during that time, he can observe their continence. He approaches nearer to their way of living and is made a partaker of the waters of purification. Yet is he not even now admitted to live with them? For after this demonstration of his fortitude, his temper is tried two more years. And if, if he appear to be worthy, then they admit him into their society. Uh, so, end quote. So then you got a full three years there. That's, that's, that's a Josephus. And again, you can find that in that article that I mentioned. Uh, jo Josephus talks about that and it's in the community rule. So that's a total of three years. So it's possible that Paul returned to Damascus, Qumran, to be initiated into the Qumran community and the way of the Essenes, thereby rejecting his previous pharisaical beliefs and position of authority. Because again, at the time, there were three main groups, three main sects of Judaism. There was uh, Pharisee, Sadducee, and Essene. So it's like today, it's like if you have like charismatic Catholic and Baptist or something, you know. So let, let's say that a Catholic wanted to uh, completely reject Catholicism. Well, he might convert to uh, the Baptist way of thinking. He might convert to the charismatic way, you know. Uh, and if he's a Baptist, he's probably going to be baptized in that church. There's kind of a ritual to, 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 to be a part of that community. Well, it's the same thing here. So not only did... Most likely, did not not only did Paul become a Christian. He, he, you can just do that on your own without joining any you know uh, any specific group or sect or church or whatever. But not only that, he became a Christian. But he also converted to the way to the Essene way of 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 the of, of theological interpretation uh, to the, the the actual Qumran community, and that might be what those three years were all about. Um, so we actually have a strong piece of evidence of his conversion to the way from Paul's own words in the book of Acts. Uh, so Acts 24, 14 through 15 says, But I confess this to you, that I worship the God of our ancestors according to the way which they call a sect, believing everything that is according to the law and that is written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, a hope that these men themselves accept too, that there is going to be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. Paul right here is telling us that he converted to the way and that this, the way, it's not just Christianity in general uh, because they call it a sect. It's, it's a sect of Judaism. It, it's separate from the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's, it's a third group of Jews. And Paul, in my, in my opinion, uh, taking everything into context, Paul is saying right here that uh, not only did he convert to Christianity, but he converted to the way. And, um, and uh, he, he, he's saying that right here, and that he believes everything they believe. He believes in their interpretations. Paul himself states that he became a follower of the way, even identifying it again as saying that they call it a sect. And as we saw from Josephus and other ancient historians, the Essenes were called a sect, along with the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, as we saw earlier, the way, the way, was already in existence for a long time before the birth of Christ. The only thing that changed was followers of the way, the Qumran community and the Essenes all throughout Israel that, that followed that 
theological interpretation, uh, the followers of the way accepted Jesus as Messiah. That's the only difference. Our, our typical modern understanding of the history of the church is that this new thing called Christianity sprung up with uh, followers giving themselves the new name of the way and Paul eventually converting to it. But considering Paul's own words, this interpretation seems to be sorely lacking in historical context. You know, the truth is Christianity has a much deeper and richer and older history than most Christians realized. The, the, the Christianity in this sense, in the sense of the way, existed before the time of Christ for hundreds of years. Uh, so it's absolutely amazing. Uh, now we got more to talk to. There's even uh, more to talk about. There's even more evidence that I want to uh, show you. Um, so we're going to get to that right after this. Dr. Ken Johnson and I, if, uh, if those of you out there are familiar with Dr. Ken Johnson, he's been a guest on before. We're going to have him back on again to talk about this calendar. But um, he has a website called dsscalendar.org, and it's basically an online version of the Dead Sea Scroll calendar, which is a great resource. It's for free. Anybody can use it. But it does also mean that you have to – it's not an app. It's a website. So you have to pull out your phone every time you want to look at it and, and scroll around and look for things. So I reached out to Ken and I said, hey, what would you think about us uh, kind of like going into business together? But what, what would you say about producing a print calendar? Because I, I know how to do that. He already designed the calendar, so the hard work's done. I know how to get it into print and get it out to people. What, what do you say? And he was all for it. He was excited about it. So Ken and I worked together and produced the ancient Dead Sea Scroll calendar in print form. And this is for this year. Uh, and it, it's it's absolutely beautifully uh, printed. There are eight different styles, eight different uh, versions of this calendar that people can get if they want to. But basically what you have is, I don't know if people can see that, but you have the Dead Sea Scroll uh, calendar on the top with all the feast days and everything. And then on the bottom, you have the normal, just American regular kind of calendar. Even, uh, even if you, if you get the square one, the square style, you even get like pictures for St. Patrick's day and the holidays and stuff like that. Uh, so that is for this year. It starts in March. So don't think, well, it's four months into the year by now. There's no point in getting one. The Dead Sea Scroll calendar starts in March. So it's a great time to pick one up. But as I said, we also have uh, several other options. We have three different poster versions, which are just, you know, they're just posters. Uh, we have three different versions of that. We have um, a desk calendar style. Uh, so, you know, th this is like if you if you have a family member or a friend or something that has a desk job or something, this is, this is a great gift. Uh, and then we also have this little CD case version, which is, I thought this was a uh, pretty innovative and cool, but it just opens like a CD, but you can stand it on your desk like that. And then it's, uh, you just have cards. They, they come out as cards. There's, uh, the calendar on one side, and then there's, uh, the American holidays on the, on the back side. And you just set it on your on your desk or wherever like that. So if people want that, there is a link in the description below. And by the time this episode airs, we should have uh, the link right at dailyrenegade.com. So if you go to dailyrenegade.com right now, you should, if I'm timing this out right, you should see a graphic right on the page on the login screen. You don't have to be a member to take advantage of this, but uh, it'll, uh, we'll put it right on the login screen 
dailyrenegade.com. You'll see a graphic there. You can click on that, pick your calendar, and uh, we'll, we'll keep doing this every year. Or you can go to Dr. Ken Johnson's website, biblefacts.org or dsscalendar.org, and you can see the same graphic there and get it there. Either way, it takes you to the same place, and uh, your purchase of the calendar goes both to help support Ken's ministry and Daily Renegade. So uh, if you already know that you love us both and you want a calendar, that's the place to go. Uh, Okay, so we are going to take a break and we're going to pick this back up in the members only section. If you haven't had a chance yet, again, please go to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership today. If you get a monthly or yearly membership, you'll have full access uh, to my newest film dealing with how Christians should look at the UFO disclosure movement that's been opening up more and more in our government today. It seems like every day now we're getting new uh, news headlines on how the government is admitting to more and more and more. Well, how are we as Christians to respond to that? And what is this connection between UFO disclosure events and major events in Israel's uh, history and geopolitics in the Middle East? Because things are heating up there too. And these two seemingly different things uh, converge somehow. So the film gets into all that. Um, and it, it uh, I'm in it. Derek Gilbert is in it. Uh, we have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, uh, Steve Ciccolani, uh, Pastor Steve, if you guys uh, know him from, from YouTube and other various places. My wife, Christina, is in it. So it's a great lineup. It's also narrated by Zachary Lautitas. If you're familiar with that show, Prison Break, he was in that. He's been in a couple other movies and stuff since then. But he actually got me and Derek's book, The Day the Earth Stands Still, which is what this film is based on. Uh, He got a hold of that about a year ago, and uh, it it really inspired him to reach out to me and Derek and then do some research uh, on his own. So we're going to be having him on the show sometime soon because he's got some amazing insights uh, especially just being connected with Hollywood and seeing what's going on there. This is a truly historic moment. It will be known as the Abraham Accord. Ever since the news broke of the peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, many Christians have been wondering what it all means. Is it significant? Is it momentous and historic? Or could it even be prophetic? Most importantly, after this, what comes next? Everybody said this would be impossible. That film, What Comes Next, it is only available for paying members, but if you want a free trial, there are still some free things for you. Uh, Most specifically, we have a free episode of The Sharpening Report right now with financial expert and Christian Terry Saka right on the front page of DailyRenegade.com, which explains the financial crisis that we're in now and how we as Christians can safely protect our assets with an actual Christian company. This company is amazing. It's basically a ministry effort for us Christians, and it's done through Precious Metals. So you can go there uh, or just go to Cornerstone Assets in the link in the description below and request more uh, information. I have some silver myself, and I believe that every Christian should absolutely be doing this instead of trusting satanic organizations and doomed-to-fail currency options such as fiat and the banks and all all of that with with your resources uh, and what you leave behind for your family. At least with Cornerstone, you're um, working with Christians. You, you You have to protect yourself, your family, your assets, and Cornerstone is the 
only Christian company that I trust with something so important and vital. So check it out. Uh, more information at dailyrenegade.com. Go ahead and watch that episode of the Sharpening Report. It's free for everybody and get the information. We're now going to go to members only, uh, the members only section. So if you haven't had a chance to, head on over to dailyrenegade.com and become a member and you'll get the rest of this episode and uh, much, much more. So we will continue our conversation about the Essenes and about the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, over there. So um, members, hang on the line. Everyone else, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, take care. God bless. All right, members. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.